0: She packed my bags last night, pre-flight, zero hour, 9 a.m.
1: <laughs> That's
0: <laughs> what <laughs> I know. <Zero> hour, nine <laughs> and I'm going to be high <laughs> as a kite by then. Oh, How's it going now? Oh. <laughs> I don't know oh, the yeah. lyrics. I know the tune. Yeah. I miss the earth. I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space on such a time, this flight. And I think it's going to be a long, long time till you get me singing on my aunt, on my own again. <laughs> the end. No, that was great. Good there job. Go. I don't think anybody's done Elton, to be honest. No, Elton John's. Yeah, I
1: don't think they, well, not that, that song, maybe they haven't done, but I don't think they have. No, it's and not, probably not as good either. It's not the go to. No. Yeah. It's not the go to. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, it's man. good to have you guys in the studio here. We got a lot of interesting things to talk about. I, I'm excited about this conversation because you guys know a lot more than I do, so I'm going to just be uh, an active listener on, on what we're going to talk about. Right? So, Perfect. Uh, I've got Rocky and Joel here from Elasticam, uh, and your guess, your official title, Rocky, is uh, building science manager. Been called worse. Yeah, well, so have I. Um, <laughs> and then Joel, technical service manager.
0: Yes. What exactly is technical service manager? I know building science manager, technical. So the main part of our job is to support our clients, our customers, to make sure they have the right uh, specs on the job site, issues on job site, making sure that they're using our products as well as possible to get the best possible performance on site. So... Uh, Rocket kind of works on the front end, architects, spec writers. My job's more on the back end with the contractors and installers. And on today's show, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about spray
1: foam. We're going to talk about waterproofing. We're going to talk about, uh, what is it, high compression? Yep, uh, high compression foam. Foam as well. But then you guys have another foam as well, which is uh, Rapsulate. Yes. C- different type of foam.
2: Mm-hmm. Different type uh, completely. It's more uh, vapor open to allow for drying uh, potential to... Um, a lot of the issues we have in our buildings is moisture-related. Uh, there's a good study that was uh, done by DOE uh, probably about, I don't know, 10 years ago. And the focus was on measuring the moisture in government buildings. And they did a study, I think. Was With about, or
1: without government officials?
2: Without. Because okay. if they were in there, it'd probably All be right. a lot wetter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, the study concluded that they surveyed about 1,000 buildings, and 80% of those buildings leaked. And 40%, yeah,
0: 40%, well,
2: I'll get to it. So 40% (laughs) leaked, and there was 43% that was leaking during the survey. So the total was 83% uh, moisture in buildings. So we know our buildings leak. So this product was created to allow drying of your wall enclosures to mitigate some of the damage that could, could occur from moisture and mold.
1: So right off the bat there, I'm just thinking about energy loss, huge amounts of energy
2: loss. Hundred uh, percent. There's a study uh, by the a Swedish engineer that said even one percent of moisture content in insulation could reduce your uh, thermal impact by fifty percent. Really, one percent. Uh, what does uh, DOE stand for? Uh, Department of Energy, out of the
1: U.S. Out of the U.S. Okay. Yep. All right. So we got we got a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on. So we got uh, chem here in the studio. Triple You can reach them at info at Alaskem.com, and their phone number is eight. 8- one 787 2436 and then on IG, it's Elasticam, which is E-L-A-S-T-O-C-H-E-M, and uh, where do you want to begin? Because I know most people know you guys uh, through the spray foam, but yeah. even I myself, it was just recently that I discovered that you guys were waterproofing as well, too, which is a huge deal in this industry, right? Yeah, correct definitely. So where do we want to start? With the foam, we want to start diving into that, then get into the... I, I know you guys are doing the understab stuff, which is any smart builders. Waking up now to the fact that how much off the top of my head, I think it's like sixty percent heat loss coming from any basement slab or any structural slab coming from. There is a lot of heat loss. There's a lot of heat Mm -hmm. loss. That's a big culprit of a of a structure of heat loss, right? Yeah. So it's important to actually do some sort of protection there, right? Definitely. And so,
2: if you want to do that, maybe we should start from the bottom and work our way up. Great idea. So let's do that. Foundation all the way up to the roof.
1: Yeah,
0: we could do. Yeah, let's do that.
1: Okay, so over to you guys. Where do you guys want to start? Well, I, I dug we'll the hole with, now. Yeah. I got concrete. I guess we'll start I got concrete there. The
0: newest uh, product that we're offering, that we actually launched at uh, Construct Canada in the show in Toronto. Uh, our end of November, December
1: of 2023. Yeah, 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 just
0: the beginning of December there. And it was our high compression foam, our HC foam. And that is the under slab foam. And the big difference between this and our regular foams is the technology used to expand the foam. It's a water blown system, which means... The main rising agent, the, the puffing agent for the foam is water vapor and carbon dioxide, which is a big turn away from other closed cell phones which use refrigerant gases, which is kind of like, it, it's nice for the sustainability side of things, but also for the usability of our installers. They don't have to deal with basically pressurized containers on our resin side, which is a nice feature. And also brings the cost down quite a bit, makes it a lot. More is it creating competitive. a better product or a different product? It, it's a different product. I guess it depends what you're looking for. Uh, the The best insulating value you can get is with a refrigerant gas closed cell foam. Okay. This will give you other properties like workability for the installers. Uh, you can be able to mix the product in the container without frothing it. It's easier to process. It's cheaper more accessible to people, which is, which is a nice feature, especially for under slab when you're looking at areas where there can be a lot of competition from EPS, um, you know, different types of XPS, Dow board, things like that, that they'd shoot down. It's a nice way to, for contractors to break in and expand their options. Do you guys, and, and I forgot
1: to mention that, you know, we got the Concrete Expo coming up soon, which is next week, yep. and you guys are going to be there in Hall 2 and booth number 2579, mm-hmm. um, so anybody that's attending the show, which there's a lot of people that listen to the show, are going to be attending it to stop by and ask you guys, and you guys will physically be there, right? We yeah. will be here. Yeah, I'll be so there on Wednesday.
0: You're going to have a full booth there, right? Oh, yeah, I think we have a 20 foot by 20 foot booth there. Yeah, so there's gonna be a lot of room there to talk about. Yeah, lot lots of, of stuff. room. I think there's going to be at least maybe about five
1: people a day on, from our company, I was gonna ask you guys the construction industry in general do they think they know about your products or do they just like they need to be educated but they're afraid to ask for for the education
2: i think a little bit of both okay to be honest with you um you know on, on the architecture side uh they're screaming uh for information uh manufacturers come out with new products all the time there's so many new products on the market that they can't keep up. And just to give you an idea, going back a few years ago uh, when I did my architecture study at uh, Ryerson, um, it was broken up into four different uh, segments of disciplines of architecture. So there's architecture design, building science, project management, and landscape. Eventually they got rid of the landscape and focused on uh, (laughs) the three other ones. But just to give you an idea, there's 180 uh, architects that took the architectural design only seven uh, took the building science. So they're more focused Mm. on the design aspects of the building and they want to be the next Mies van der Rohe or, you know, the next famous architect. Whereas not too many people want to focus on the technical side. You know, it's a little bit difficult and it's quite boring. You know, I had a hard time drawing a a doghouse, but I was good at uh, doing, you know, calculations for dew point and uh, modeling uh, energy performance. So I don't think people now are focusing on the technical aspects. They're all moving towards the design. So they're relying more on manufacturers now to give them information, to look at their details, to do their specifications for them, to be actually part of the design process. Here's a question for you guys. Um, is it more important, because I, what I respect about what you guys
1: do and the products that you guys offer is that you get one shot at this when you're building a structure, Yeah. right? So if you want to go the lesser quality idea or cheaper products you're going to pay in the long term but there's this mindset in construction where it's like let's get the really high-end more expensive mechanical systems and i'm talking about hvac systems to heat and cool our properties and my argument is no let's build the unit better so then we don't need to use these higher end or more expensive machinery do you guys agree with that like do you guys look at it that is far more important to worry about the building assembly and the envelope of the building and then factor in that you can put almost any kind of system in there to heat and cool it or is that a tricky question
2: no <laughs> it, it i think it comes down to codes people just want to meet the code uh you know Some we want have, to build yeah, better it, than it, code we right? want to build better uh than code whereas now people would rather put in higher end HVAC uh, type equipment to offset, you know, your uh, lack of uh, enclosure uh, details or uh, thermal performance uh, uh, characteristics. So, but I mean, talk about like the carriage before the horse at that situation, right? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, I rather build the unit better. And even older homes that I've worked on that I remodeled, I understood that the rest of the building structure didn't, Get built properly, but that one corner or that one part of the house that you're building, why can't we go and excel on our wall assembly? Why can't we do the basement better? Like if we have an opportunity to remove the slab, a yeah, lot of Toronto home. homes, yeah. you go into a basement, the slab is just paper thin, cracked up, yeah. opportunity to break it up. Now you've got earth and then now opportunity to insulate it. Yeah. Right? So that's a lot better of an option when you're building than trying to put a system in there that's going to be overworking and maybe not last as long.
2: And what we're starting to see now with uh, on the architecture side, the design uh, side, and you know, moving towards the sustainability aspects of our buildings is that it's called passive survivability. So, Mm. this passive survivability the intent is if your power goes out uh, in your building, how long do you have until Mm. you have to move out of the house or building because it's too cold or it's too hot? And you know, they're trying to shoot for about seven days now for the uh, passive survivability based on OBC based on our current. no just th- you'd have to go above far above the building code oh really so uh, if oh, you yeah. went mm.
1: OBC just minimum requirements which I've always said it's like taking a full glass of water and putting it on the edge of the table yeah. that's basically minimum requirements there's there studies yeah. that uh, how long a, would that last it's not seven days
2: no you'd probably in you a know day. R- a day especially mm. all the, like you look in downtown Toronto all those glass towers that they have those are r two Wow! Basically, yeah. walls essentially, and yeah, it's not just the cold; it's that sun that's beating in yes. uh, on the on the glass, and it you're, you're going to have to move out because it'll be too hot to live in there. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we're starting to see it with all these uh, you know natural disasters that are coming up now. So architects are starting to look more towards the passive survivability, and they're, they they want to go above the code. But again, someone has to pay for it. Yeah. But it it kind of like. At the point of building a structure,
1: isn't it, that's the most cost-effective time to do it? Of course, oh. yeah. Right? Like, to retro it later on, it becomes far more expensive at that point. Like, I mean, the latest thing that I've been hearing is a lot of people that live in condos, and they're telling me how all their maintenance fees are going through the roof now. They're all literally going so much higher because yeah. they have to start maintaining these buildings now because there is such heat
0: loss calculations there. Yeah, it's true, and that's always one of the... The jokes when you're in construction that they cheap out on the materials, but then, you know, you don't pay an extra $1,000, 2000 for insulation, and then they'll put a $10,000 mantle above the fireplace. It's all about the finish, because that's what they can see, but because they can't see long-term. They can't see the effects of the heating bill, especially now with, I think a lot of people are realizing with the electricity and gas bills going up significantly, that maybe we do need to look a bit harder at that and spend some time you know, designing better walls, better systems for the buildings.
1: Is it just me or is it like when you get your heating bill or your utility bills, don't they feel heavier when they are really high? Oh, yeah. Like it's yeah, still yeah. the same paper, but it feels heavier. <laughs> it <does>. like, <laughs> like as a homeowner, you start to feel like this is ridiculous. We start looking at how much you're consuming energy wise when I think that's why I revert back to the building. Like, here's an opportunity, the wall assembly, the slab assembly, the roof assembly, all kinds of stuff. There's opportunity there. I know it's not the pretty stuff. Trust me. I, I, yeah. I've argued that point over and over. It doesn't have red knobs. I get it. I understand mm-hmm. all that stuff. But this, to me, is the pretty stuff because it affects the energy consumption of your dwelling.
2: Yeah, and I, th- yeah. I think uh, they start to realize that after the fact that the building is completed. Like, my house is only 10 years old, and I can't even sit by the uh, window yeah. uh, in the wintertime. You could feel the draft coming through, and it's cold. Wow. Uh, So we put a blanket on there. So whoever sits there, you get to have a blanket. And it's a 10-year-old building that meets the, you know, fairly uh, new building code. Mm -hmm.
1: So, okay, back to the basement. You guys are offering that high compression. What do you, how
0: thickness? What's the thickness you guys are spraying that? Generally, two inches is what you're shooting for. Okay. You get two inches with the products, closed cell foams. You tend to be a vapor barrier. So you're getting air tightness, vapor tightness, and insulating value. All in one product. And which you're is bringing always, it up
1: at the walls a tiny bit, Yeah,
0: right? we'll bring it up above slab grade. Um, so you'll generally do six to eight inches is what we're recommending. And then hopefully, once they pour the slab, then they can tie in. If they insulate the foundation wall, they can tie straight in so you get a full bathtub effect yeah. out of
1: the foam. And then you're, okay, so you're getting our, what is it, you're getting two inches so you're going to get an R- 10 12.
0: Yeah, you you're, you're going to be shooting for around R10 with the HC foams. You could get up to an R12 with closed cell foams with r- regular refrigerant foams, not the HC foams, because of that that's that refrigerant gas effect. You get slightly higher R value with added cost and some other ish- like but processing at that, issues. At that
1: point though, I mean the difference between an R like R2, like You're absolutely
0: you- right, yeah. The what, what's the as you go up in R value, the, you know, the return on investment goes down. So you're you're could be at 90 three percent thermally efficient at r10 or something and then to go up another 10 r10 you may only gain four or five more percent thermal efficiency so just having that little bit is doing the bulk of the work for you for sure i always tell because uh, we teach courses to our installers about insulating and a lot of people don't understand our value they don't they know they know the words when you go to home depot you see a bag of R12 bat, R24 That's bat. such
1: a massive R on the bag. Yeah, they're like, like the bigger,
0: big number is good, right? Yeah. But then they don't understand. I use a good analogy with a coffee cup. If I give you a Styrofoam coffee cup and I pour boiling hot water in that coffee cup, you can comfortably hold that cup with an eighth inch of Styrofoam. And how much R value is that? Maybe not even one. So if I put five coffee cups, that five you're sleeves together, you're not, yeah. now you can barely even feel the heat from the cup. Now I put a hundred cups on, what's the difference between five cups and a hundred cups? But like you guys you know, said- You don't I mean, need that much to do a lot of work.
1: Yeah, the difference is that homeowners don't realize it until after the fact that if they yeah. didn't pull the trigger and make the decision to actually do it, then they'll walk into their basement and they'll feel the coldness in the airborne. Like you'll yeah. feel it around you and because, and it's that slab, there's nothing underneath that slab.
2: hmm yep. So how do we educate, do we educate homeowners or do we educate builders first or do we educate both? I think you have to do it in tandem. Okay. Um, yeah. And and that's why I think, uh, you know, Joel and I work as a team uh, quite a bit. And I work on the design uh, side with the architect. Say, hey, this is the benefits of y- using this. And this is the actual energy uh, uh, savings that you would get for using the product. And then I'd go to Joel and say, hey, there's a project that I'm working with the architect. Work with the contractor to make sure that he is aware of what the architect's intent is. And then you get it done. And the architect enjoys that because he knows that there's someone like... Uh, Joel that's going to actually go out there and make sure that the contractor is doing the right thing instead of just going out there uh, without, you know, guidance and just doing their job. But you guys are also doing the testing. Like you're, you're not releasing
1: things until you've done a test, whether it's been in the lab or if it's been on site, you're doing the testing to see what the cause and effect of and how the installation is done. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the unique thing with our products as building products is we're we're always calling ourselves the manufacturers but really our contractors that we sell to are the manufacturers we give them we manufacture components of a chemical system they're really manufacturing it on site which is the big difference between most construction materials i'm not buying a finished two by four and just installing it well you guys I, are the only one like i don't know of another yeah product i mean that maybe you can yeah. Argument for concrete or something else. But even that's pre-mixed. No, that's yeah. just like you could, you're adding yeah. water to that. Yeah. like,
1: And then you kind of create that product. But you guys are the only product that has to be carefully manufactured on site. Mm-hmm. And the site conditions affect it.
0: Yeah, which right. is why, like, on a manufacturing side, like, the technical support you give is really important. The, they're not in a controlled environment. They're not walking in on the same assembly line every day under nice conditions. There can be, you know, it could be minus 20 outside, plus 20 outside, freezing cold raining all of these things will affect how the material reacts on site so even even we're always going to keep learning that's why we build really strong relationships with the contractors because we need that back and forth communication to make adjustments suggest better techniques because you can't recreate everything you're going to run into on site in a lab no there's baseline of course there's baseline testing we do and we have a pretty good idea of what we're shooting for but it always is constant learning There's never an end. Are
1: there any interesting building sites that you guys have been, I guess, brought onto the project, whether it's been in the paper stage when it's still being drawn and then actually physically boots on the ground that you guys can remember that there was some challenging situations. I I know that the go-to whenever you talk about building science, you get architects that love designing things that just protrude out of everywhere. And then they expect you to seal this, like this balcony, this extension, this whatever it is, right? Which is great on paper, But in reality, when you look at it, such heat loss opportunities, right? Are there anything that comes to mind?
2: Well, we just worked on one, and I don't know if this falls within uh, what you're asking, but there's a big project in Ottawa, and um, they're supposed to use XPS, and it was a 23-story building. It was a concrete backup uh, wall with a a precast concrete um, cladding, so everything concrete. And it was installed. Everything was installed. And at the 23rd floor, they're like, oh, we forgot to put the insulation in the cavity. So there's no insulation in Just this whole building. floor? No, no, the whole oh, The whole 23, the whole yeah. 23 well, By the time they got to the 23rd. Yeah, they yeah. realized that they didn't put the insulation Uh-oh. in. So <laughs> uh, we got a call from the architect, and he's like, this happened. And I think it was going to be like $4 million to take all the panels off oh. and insulate it and move on can you guys help us out and i said well we'll see what we do so i, I worked with uh, joel worked with our chemists and uh we developed a foam that actually you could inject into the walls and it basically climbed up the walls and it filled in uh the, the cavity and uh we had technical guys on site with a thermal image camera to make sure that uh all the the foam was filling in all the voids in, in the wall so it was quite successful. I think we finished the project within three weeks. How big of a cavity? How it was, was about it th- three inches. Three inches. Huh? Three inches. Okay. Yeah. And so, and this is where I worked with the architect. I said, "Hey, you know what? We the building code gives you a prescriptive and a performance path." I Said, "Hey, you know he went the uh, prescriptive where he just wanted to put this in there." I said, "Well, if you do the the performance path, I could do the calculation for you, and we could put all the insulation inboard." And he's like, "Ah, well." I put the pipes in the concrete, so if they freeze, oh, uh, yeah. it's not going to be good. <laughs> so we're what do you stuck. Mean, if they will <laughs> yeah, freeze, they will freeze, especially, in Ottawa. Yeah. especially so, in Ottawa. so yeah. uh, So we worked with that and got and uh, and it was quite a successful project. And then I posted that on LinkedIn, and I got about five calls from different architects. In, can you help us out too? Same problem. Same problem. Yeah. And we just got one um, in Morgan State University down in Baltimore, where this cavity is. Uh, I think it was over a foot. It was a 40 feet by 50 feet and 18 inches yeah. void oh. that they, they didn't insulate. And so you still were able? Are and you, are we're, we're looking, going. We just going. put the order in, and then and we're going to the people. foam will actually be able to do it? They'll it fill. Yeah, it'll fill in. Uh, yeah, it was, it's a pore foam that we did, and it's going to fill in all that, that void. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out how the builder forgot to do that assembly that one. I mean, it's forgotten,
1: but you guys came up with a solution for it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So and and that's, you know, my role is to help the architects at the front end. But when sometimes we get calls halfway uh, through the completion of the project, then we have to rearrange different uh, materials and uh, talk to our chemists to try and get something to help these people out. I'm curious about the floor separations.
1: I mean, if that void is that continuous through all the floors, or there, they they there did have a break,
2: have uh, a break okay. uh, because it was foam. It was XPS that should have been in there. So they had uh, floor stops, but we would have to go to every floor and inject it. Yeah, and so, so you were basically
1: just filling the void up for that one floor and then moving on to the next floor yeah. and yeah. exactly there. But yeah. but the length of the it was huge. It must oh, have been yeah. massive at that point. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that and that's why the installers, like you said, that could be no one might have come across this exact scenario before. So that's why. You know, you bring everyone together, installers have knowledge, we have knowledge, our designers have knowledge, and we try and support them on site for these unique cases, because you can't expect each, each, that's the the thing, it's never going to be the same site over and over again. But let's go back in time
1: now, because I mean, even before we started recording, you were mentioning about certain buildings and, and what's happening with the older homes, or the older situations. Is there a case to be made about going back and trying to figure out how we can make these homes more airtight with the existing conditions without having to just rip apart all the interior to get access to that. Is that an opportunity for this foam where it could spread in that?
2: There is. Okay. Um, but we have to be careful with more historic homes, uh, especially with, um, uh, say, masonry, uh, especially the older homes, because they didn't have the uh, processes of using uh, firing bricks yeah. uh, the way they do now. Yeah. So if you insulate some of these... Um, buildings within a year the 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 cladding or the brick cladding could be falling off because it would absorb all this moisture but it needed that heat to move that moisture and dry out the brick but when you put the insulation in there now that brick is not drying out and so then it obviously you know when water uh, freezes it swells and then it just basically breaks these bricks apart so we have to be careful uh, Mm -hmm. with masonry uh, buildings but with any type of um, wood type construction it'd be a lot easier.
1: Because the older homes were designed to let all this air go out, right? Or air movement between two planes, right? Yeah, exactly. That's how it is. But also, you know, there's products where you can separate, well, you have to figure out how to separate your foam from the brick itself.
0: Yeah. But I, that's
1: almost any product. I mean, the older homes you're designing, were usually a double-width brick mm-hmm. assembly, and then you had your straps, and yeah. you had your lath and plaster, and that was it. There was no insulation whatsoever. Yeah. And that's definitely, we've all walked into those homes. They're very, very cold homes. Yep. You can go right up to the wall and realize how cold it, and then all of a sudden, the boiler, the rad is very warm. But you're just expelling so much energy in the home. You are.
0: Yeah. But, and as Rocky was saying, that's one of the big ones. You do have to kind of be careful because sometimes people forget that house is a system. If you insulate, you may have to do other things. Uh, because the foam, it does expand into all those gaps and cracks and does seal up. You could seal in all the moisture in the house too, where, you know, you're taking showers all day long. You're doing laundry. You're washing dishes. And all of that water could be accumulating. If you don't have modern HVAC systems to deal with that moisture and handle it, I've, we've had calls where people have insulated their house. Later on, they complain there's a smell in their house now. And... They're thinking, oh, maybe something went this wrong. an with existing home. An existing yeah. home, a okay. retrofit. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, I think there's something wrong. They Google. It's like your phone made my house smell. Yeah, spray phone <laughs> smell into the internet. You're not going to find any answers you want to hear. No. I, you know, they'll call the office. Someone like myself will go to a site, come in the house, and then I agree. Yeah, the house smells, but it doesn't smell like chemical or spray phone smells like garbage. And it turns out it was just their everyday smells in the house that were just trapped inside the house because they had insulated. Everything was airtight. In that and all that moisture is sitting there and it just has nowhere to go anymore so they have to keep in mind that yeah if you change one design building of it other things may have to change with that as well
1: when did you guys introduce the high compression stuff is that that's recently
0: yeah yeah that was just at the last building show in Toronto Okay. at the uh, I guess two months ago three months ago but you're getting a officially. lot of installers
1: right now sprayers are actually installing it right now so you're seeing case studies and obviously well that's kind of good on you you guys are releasing it in winter months oh right. yeah but I mean, I I guess in basement slabs, it's not that cold. The ground, is it or isn't it? Uh,
2: around Toronto, uh, there's a we have a uh, this building science babble. It's called Building Science for Cold Climates, and basically you could look up your city, and it actually tells you uh, the temperature based on how far you go. So further around our region, it would probably be about seven degrees. Yeah, it's not you too know bad. about uh, yeah. you know six feet down, you're about seven degrees, but you know still you do have a little bit of heat transfer because you're you know there is going to be about. Uh, 21. So there's about 14 degrees difference. So you're gonna have that heat transfer mm-hmm. uh, going
0: through. And there's other benefits, especially now. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with radon. It's kind of yeah. like a, a newer buzzword. It's it's to, uh um, yeah. I guess it's uh
1: it, it, I don't know. I don't know how to how to describe it. Everyone's just going right to the rubbernecking of it. They're not really going to um I guess not necessarily positive about it. But the thing is, it is a thing. It is a thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's just a or a radioactive gas that gets released out of the soil from the breakdown of, I think, uranium. It's present in rock, and then, especially in the Canadian Shield, a lot of places out in the central Canada have high amounts of radon, and it collects in basements because it's a low point in the house that's in contact with the soil. And now a lot of places are mandating by code that you have a radon barrier system in place so that if you measure your house later on down the road... And you find high levels of radon that you can then put in an active ventilation system to get that out of the house. As part of that radon system, you put a sub-slab soil gas barrier, which foam can count as. So when you put the sub-slab. Yeah, because yeah. it's under slab. You put in a layer of crushed gravel with an evacuation pipe. And then you cap that pipe in the slab to be used in the future if, if necessary. So it's, it's Would been, you
1: redirect it through the house to go through expel yep, from the yep. roof line? Exactly. A lot of do okay.
0: with the roof line. If you can't reach the roof line, it can be expelled at the side of the house. Usually you'll try and get it as high up as possible. Well, I mean,
1: some pumps are designed that same way as well, yeah, exactly. right? So you're discharging just above grade.
0: Yeah. So but I mean,
1: correct me if I'm wrong, radon also comes out of any natural slabs of stone.
0: Yeah, it's it's a breakdown of, again, certain products in natural stone. Yeah, it's a naturally occurring one, but the amount that you get out of one single slab of stone would be very small, whereas the earth has obviously a lot of stone in it, so you get a lot more release than just off a single piece of stone.
1: Okay, well, that's good. To, I didn't know that you could actually put a pipe through there and then you could actually solve it that way.
0: Yeah, they'll have a, they'll call it either an active system or a passive system. A passive system re- relies on just hot air moving the gas stack effect, up yeah. the stack effect in your house. <laughs> An active system, which is what they recommend, is you literally just put a fan. And I believe it's the cost of, the, of running the fan would be 5 or $10 a year or something like that. And is that in the code right now? Uh, it, I believe it's in the code in, in several provinces to have a soil gas mitigation system in place to be used if necessary later on. So a lot of new builders are really uh, investing in that, and we have a radon system training available for free on our website. You can go on, click on the link, and do one or two hours of learning and you get a a certificate basically at the end of it saying that you've, you know, you've learned about it, you know, for our system, which for spray foam is two inches of foam with some other things like having the evacuation pipe in place and just another, again, another tool that the builders can use to help build better homes for, you know, future proofing it.
1: I mean, I was guilty of this in the early years of my construction career where I would Google the question before I started meeting more people like you guys where I would contact you guys and I made it my mandate, like, give me your number, give me your number, I want your number, I want your number, because yeah. I don't want to Google it because Google will give you the car crash answers first on the first can, page. Sure. And then, like, it's, it's not the right information. It could be right, it could be wrong, whatever. I'd rather speak to somebody like you guys where it's like, here's my situation. This is what i got going on. How mm-hmm. can I solve this? And then you have a really educated conversation at that point, right? Yeah. That's more value than just Googling something right away.
2: And I think that's the benefit of having either Joel or myself on. Is a lot of uh, time the contractor calls me and he says, Hey, Rocky, I have an issue with the code official. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I said, Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. never hear that. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I said, All right, let me deal with it. And then um, I deal with the contractor and then I go talk to the code official. And the code official goes, yeah, Your contractor doesn't know what he's talking about. So we're, I'm sort of like, uh, Mediator. Uh, mediator between the two. And at the end of the day, the main focus obviously is to get the, the job completed. So, you know, it's good to have the, the, the team, I guess you could call come together, at least to have come with the final solution and that's what we need, I think, more of in the industry instead of just Googling it or, or whatnot. You need uh, people come together and actually having yeah. a discussion about something. That's I don't going
1: want on to point family. fingers at code officials or inspectors or building officials, but I get the sense that today's generation of contractors, tradespeople, they're getting more information a lot sooner than the building departments are getting it. Because you get the building departments that are dealing with, let's say, the provincial codes, and then you also have the national codes across the country. Mm. And they're used to one way And, and until that's done and, and until something changes because you learn something that's better to build. I find that the tradespeople, boots on the ground, they're going to trade shows. They're speaking to yeah. people like you guys. And so they're getting all this new information that's coming in here. And they're like going, well, I want to try this. But then it doesn't meet the code. So now you, you're butting heads. And I guess it was the same thing when spray foam was first introduced. Yeah, was Everybody was butting say. their heads about, do we put the poly? Do we take the poly? Do we seal the poly? Do we tape? Like all kinds of stuff. It was questions like that. Yeah. So we were being told to do certain things that were right at the code then, but they're wrong today. So it's i rather builders and also building officials get information, all the information, and make the right decision.
2: Well, and a lot of the work I do, like I said, is uh, I do all the work up front, and I tell them make sure you talk to your code official before you do anything Mm -hmm. just to make sure you're on the right page. uh, Mm -hmm. Before I don't want to get a call after and say, we did this and this person doesn't know what they're talking about. That makes sense. Yeah. No. So you have to be, once you get the information, you have to again, get in as a team and say, okay, this is what we're doing. Everyone agree. Yes. Let's go ahead. Yeah. And I know it's hard uh, dealing with different parties, but uh, you know, that's the way I think we need to head if we want to get things done correctly.
1: Yeah. yeah i mean just approach your discussion with a building official at a solution level yeah, yeah. not you know instigate your no. wrong i'm right kind of mentality that makes mm-hmm. no sense you're not going to yeah. solve the problem it's about no. solving the problem at that time yeah. at that point right what's the difference between your foams and this Rapsolite? like what, what what's the new rhapsolate? what's it do
0: It's, uh, as Rocky was saying, the difference is it allows moisture to move through it. Okay. So, whereas I was talking before, our our below-grade installation, our closed-cell foams, typically we want to stop moisture from moving through up into the house or through the wall assemblies. With the Rapsolate, we're getting an exterior system, which is an open-cell foam, and that open-cell allows moisture to go through it and allows a drying effect on the wall. So, the, the trouble we have sometimes with architects is, well, yeah, we want your foam on the wall, but we also want to put our traditional poly on the inside of the wall. So if you insulate the outside of the wall with foam and then you distill a poly on the inside, they have the double vapor barrier, which they're concerned about. If you get the leaks that Rocky was talking about before, if 80% of all homes leak, how does that wall dry out? It's okay to get something wet as long as it doesn't stay wet. Yes. So this is allowing that drying effect while still having foam.
1: So why do they they want? Well, the code is now changing. You're supposed to have what is it? An R12 on the exterior now, at the cladding.
0: Yeah, and it depends. Uh,
2: it depends what uh, path you take. Uh, there could be package, package, packages, yeah. yeah. And so it all depends. But what and a good analogy is I give my some of my students is that you can imagine when you you go for a jog, there'd be a difference if you put uh, garbage bags around you. Versus a a, a sweatsuit. You know, the garbage bag, you're not allowing any of that moisture out. uh, So your body is not going to take that uh, too good. But if you have a a breathable uh, solution like a a jogging outfit, it uh, dries out uh, quite quickly. And we have to take the same approach with our buildings because we know our buildings are leak. So you have to design for failure rather than design for success. Mm -hmm. And so the intent is to have the vapor control on the inside And everything outboard allow it to dry. So this is why the raft slate came. You can put it on the outside and it will actually allow the vapor to pass through uh, unimpeded uh, so you don't get the condensation and whatnot into your enclosure where it could cause mold uh, and and degradation of your materials. The yeah. architects
1: are asking for this because they want to keep the cavities free for other... Like, they're, they're thinking about mechanicals. Is that the
0: reason mechanicals, why... Mechanicals, would... just easier... Uh, yeah, maybe, like you said, uh, you do get one shot at putting this products in. So maybe if they want to do retrofit stuff in the future and have the cavity accessible. It. Okay. A bat's a lot easier to move down the road than spray foam. So, yeah. Th- traditionally, the only option they had before, once they did the exterior insulation requirements, it was our closed cell foam. And now... This is the only exterior open cell foam you can put in contact with water, which is which is the big difference it doesn't absorb surface water, which most open cell foams do it's a one pound foam tighter cell structure it just has enough resistance to not allow foam to penetrate sorry water to penetrate the foam on a surface contact level yeah it's um
1: are you guys working on? Are there building assemblies? Like, I mean, it's such an an unfortunate thing here in Canada. Back in the 70s, we were the first ones in Saskatchewan that actually made the first passive house in North America. And could you just imagine if we just worked on that more all through the decades and where we would be regarding global leadership, right? Mm -hmm. And we're not at that point. So, I mean, I really would want to see more building. Wall assemblies that are better than the current code that's asking. Are you guys working on those wall assemblies and thinking about what the future homes are going to be all about?
2: Yeah, and uh, we work with that with uh, the architect. We, you know, we say, "Architect, what do you want to achieve?" And there is, uh, you know, a path of the different enclosures throughout, you know, the Canadian uh, timeline. I guess you could say is that uh, typically we we always not always, but uh, you know, back in the sixties fifties, we'd always put the insulation in the cavity between the studs. And, you know, we wanted to become uh, more efficient. So then we started putting some insulation outboard and some insulation inboard. And depends what you put outboard. And traditionally it was foam. And then this is where Joel was talking with the double vapor barrier. And then you have poly on the inside. And our building started degrading if you're getting moisture in it because it was trapped in there. Uh, So then we started, you know, mostly on the commercial side, then putting all the insulation outboard. And they realize that when we work with com- commercial construction and you have studs, especially steel studs, and you put insulation in steel studs, uh, at three and five-eighths of an inch, you lose 50% of your R-value. At uh, six inches, you're losing 70%. And at eight inches, you're losing 80% of your R-value. Cool. So even though we're putting all this insulation, like, oh, I'm putting R24 in this cavity, it's actually an R6, effectively. Uh, so the building codes are starting to realize that. So that's why they're starting doing the split system. They're giving you uh, different prescriptive pass or performance pass. If you do a calculation, as long as you meet this U value, then you're good. Uh, so this is how we train architects. They just don't take what the code says, where it says, you know, R10 outside and R13 on the inside. Say, let's design it properly. Uh, and we could have no issues with moisture. And it will be more efficient at the same footprint that you would have uh, based on the code. And I think architects are starting to realize that I started this program at my previous company uh, where we would go out and help out architects uh, on a project. And in my first year at this job, we, I think I, it was just me. Um, uh, we did about 24 projects of doing this type of design. And when I left four years later, we had 230 projects done for architects and we had four people working. So mm-hmm. there is a need for more education, uh, again based on the materials based on the code based on uh, energy performance and based on moisture so there's it's a, a, a dynamic uh, type approach that we have to look at wall design instead of just putting insulation in the cavity now and just move on well see that was yeah. the
1: OBC solution is where they made that change from a two by four cavity to a two by six cavity yeah because they wanted to increase the r value but there's no talk about like you mentioned the loss of r value yeah right should we not be Paying attention to that loss and figuring out where is that happening and how it's happening and then solve that solution so then we can still build on a two by four cavity yeah. and still have the same amount of R value, right?
2: Well, hundred yeah. percent. And you know, and I saw your eyes when I mentioned the reduction, and you see the same thing when you mentioned it to an architect. Say, hey, look, this wall that you just designed is actually an R six, uh, and you think it's an R thirty two. Yeah. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, look at all the the metal you have. In there. So I said, you know, we would design it for them, say, look, it's a thinner profile and it's more efficient.
0: Yeah. You could even design in spacing. Like uh, you have your sheathing, you have a one inch space, then your studs. And then when they install the foam, that foam can completely fill in behind the space behind the studs and you get a thermal break at that spot. So there's even little tiny changes, and that one inch thermal break could be equivalent to. A huge increase in effective R value for that R seven.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, just for I guess some other, or maybe some concrete guys are listening, or maybe some electricians or something like that. (laughs) R value and then U value. Like, what's like if you could just Uh, describe
2: uh, U value is just the inverse of R value. Okay. And it was funny. uh, Someone was telling me the reason why windows use U value is because no one understands them. (laughs) And if and if they actually had the R value, no one would
1: buy them. Hmm. You so know, it's a good point you bring up because I was actually just talking to somebody that's been on the show before. And he was like, let me give you a little crash course on Windows and R value and and the truth behind all, all this stuff. So it's funny that you're bringing that up right yeah. now.
2: And so it's just no one understands it and no one wants to ask why. And it's the U value. It's just the inverse of R value. Okay. So.
1: But everyone's listening to, and like we said earlier, it's like you got that big R on the packaging on the big box where it's on the shelf, and that's what's being sold to everybody. Yeah. It's just the bigger the R and that number associated with that R is what's selling it to the home user yeah, or yeah. the builders that are just getting started in the industry. And
2: it's funny, even if you go to Home Depot and you look at some of the bags, you'll say an R24, but when installed, it's an R22 because it's at six inches at 24, but we don't make six inch studs. We make five and a half inch so you have to compress it so the R-value goes down. So it's not even an R24 so that they're... That. Yeah. Yeah. So, so at look at on the bag. In- it says really it's real small print. At six inches. At six inches, which we don't have six-inch studs, unless it's steel, obviously, but uh, for wood stud. Yeah, nobody does that. No. Yeah. yeah.
0: Or or so. someone will... You know, maybe they had R12 in the walls, an old home, old farmhouse or something, and then they go to R24, and they're expecting their heating bill to be cut in half because I doubled the R-value. Yeah. And in theory, that doesn't works. doesn't work like Yeah, that. but then... <laughs> Like Rocky said, it's well, you have a, a four by eight bay window over there with, at R2. Yeah. So, no matter what you added in the walls, it doesn't matter because there are all your heat loss through the window. And that brings up a really
1: good point because you're getting a lot of architects that are designing these backs to these homes, mostly glass, yeah. and then introducing their steel components to brace, but the glass is as tight as possible to the steel structural. Mm. And how do you guys tackle that? Like, how do you look at that property and go, well, listen, that's just major heat loss right there. And yeah. you're, we're going to have to just calculate how that's going to affect the rest of the structure.
2: Well, and that goes back to your point you said uh, a while back, is what, especially with lead buildings. And you look around and say, how could this building be lead when it's all glass? But th- they rely on the mechanical systems to offset based on the calculation. And they can move this calculation around to meet the requirement by just their HVAC system.
1: I know yeah, you guys have, we have some videos, right? We, like. Did, is there anything specific that we want to bring up and talk about? Or? I think
0: we did have a video of some of the, the HC yeah. being installed okay. on gravel for sub-slab installation.
1: This is a recent job.
0: Yeah. Yeah, these would have been uh, done. Again, we just released the product, but we did do, like you mentioned, trials with trusted contractors. Uh, so this would be on one of the trial sites where we're getting real-world feedback from the contractors, seeing how the product's performing.
1: I mean, my first house, that's exactly what I did. I mean, I, this is a long time ago, but I mean, right on gravel. And it was the weirdest thing to have an open structure. It was a nice sunny day. Yeah. And you're spraying foam right onto open gravel. Yeah. yeah. But it made a huge difference when we started framing and you went to the basement and you were warm. Like yeah. it wasn't cold. You didn't feel that radiant coming off the concrete.
0: Yeah. And especially, uh, you'll see a lot of flooring systems people are doing in-floor Probably heating. Especially in basements, in-floor heating is really popular. So a solution like this. I'm not sure if this is just a two-second clip. No. Okay, there we go. Yeah. So they can go it right on the gravel. Uh, Of course, it needs to be dry. It needs to be clean. And they can hit two inches right in one pass, or they can do several passes. So several. Because some of that is expanded in between the gravel itself. Yeah, it's going to lock itself in the gravel gonna hold itself in place and this is what a lot of the builders really like and the guys who work on concrete is instead of throwing boards down that shift under their feet when they're dragging rebar around or when they're putting their their holders around it's a nice solid base to work off of you know there's no shifting there's no taping of seams it's monolithic if if there's a curve on the ground it'll follow that curve if there's a penetration for a sump pump or whatever you just it'll always perfectly seal to that whatever you spray it against because it's infinitely you know, contouring whatever they need to do.
1: Here's a question. Is this in the code yet? No.
0: No, not the requirement. Again, you could argue that as part of a radon barrier system they could be, but you could use other solutions like 6-mil poly to do a soil gas barrier, which is, I think, the popular approach. But the actual
1: insulation portion of it is not in the current code. Not as far as I know, no. Not even in a national code. I don't think it's even in there. No, I don't think which so. Which is like, this is such... There's other things that I disagree with in the code regarding mm-hmm. other systems in the house, regarding other trades, um, heat recovery stack. By the way, I just want to attack the plumbers there, and we all agree. But the thing is, like that should be in the code. That yeah. should just be mandatory in the code. Like, if you're building new construction, that that should be done. Yeah. And you how know, do we do that? How do we make the code do that?
0: The code's a hard hard one to get into. We do work with codes. Through standard committees. So we'll sit on a committee. If we think we have a good solution for the code, it's a difficult process because the code only gets updated every five years. Yeah. And whenever you want to submit something but before how that, how quickly code are we update. building
1: and products being introduced? Yeah. And you're paying attention to new techniques
0: from people that are actually doing it on the paper or on the job site? And I think that's the the hardest thing to do is like you really nailed the head there is like you come out with innovative products, but because the codes every five years and even we changes them. changes to the code need to sub- be submitted three to five years before that code even gets printed. So you're, you're looking eight years plus minimum to get a code change in.
2: But the other side of that is when I in my previous company, I used to go to the code hearings down in the U.S. Uh, for the U.S. codes. Oh, well, that must have been fun. Oh, it's three days of just sitting in a, a room and people just read the A code. lot of alcohol? There no? was okay. All right. Uh, so it'd be different if you actually made it in the morning, but uh, I did. No, I meant at <laughs> no. <the> actual <laughs> meetings, yeah. right? No. Um, but what they would do is, you know, you would put a proposal and say, "Hey, I want to make the wall more efficient, so I want more insulation in there." And you'd think it's a good thing. Uh, you'd be the proponent, but then you'd have all you'd look over and see all the people against you. A lot of them would be the home builders. There would be other manufacturers because they can't get their pro- our value of the product in the same size of say a two mm-hmm. by six. So there'd be people going against you for something that you want to make more innovative. So you'd think that'd it be a, a good uh, proposal, but there's always people well, you going should against be you. Challenge each other forward, not challenge exactly, each other yeah. backward. Yeah, and, right. And As an I, that's industry. what I found was, uh, you know, strange going to these meetings is that. There's always someone that is against you for something when you're trying to move, progress something. Yeah. But I mean, for the sure.
1: end game here is really about the homeowner having a more efficient home. Yeah. Using less energy. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like you should get these things into the industry a lot sooner, a lot faster, a lot easier. So we can start using these products to make the home more efficient. Yeah. So yeah. We're not using energy. That's the whole end game,
0: right? Yeah. And that's where you get the, uh, like you said, a instead of a, Prescriptive change—you can have a performance, you know, metric in the code, but those are difficult to do. It's hard. It's hard to get the the builders on board. It's hard to get the inspectors on board and educated. So, yeah, getting prescriptive changes would be the best way, of course, to push stuff forward. It's just hard to get there.
1: I've had my share with the inspectors, and most of them, when I speak to, they're they're always welcoming a conversation. Mm-hmm. You're trying something new. You want to do something different. You want to build a better home and you bring it up and all of a sudden they start looking at it and they're not looking at it to question you they're looking at you to to be educated they want to know why you chose this why the architects expect to sell why the people that you're consulting with are, are advising saying that this should be the way to go and i like those conversations because that's moving things forward oh yeah and yeah.
2: we presented at uh, the code officials uh, annual meeting too and there has it has been quite uh, receptive uh, you know they're always willing to learn but it's whether or not they have the you know the time to do it or if they're allowed uh, to do it you know taking time away from the site to go to education seminars and stuff like that
1: see yeah. that's the thing about the building where I go back to that they're so used to their wheelhouse that Monday to Friday this yeah. is you know we get onto the job site this is what we have to inspect and take a look yeah. at versus the builders and the architects and the designers are thinking about innovation and what we yeah. sh- want to try next time on the next build. We learned our lessons on this build. We've got another build that's very similar, but we want to try this because we heard technically it's going to be better. Yeah. So we want to tr- use it on the site. But then you have to, what you guys talked about, fight the status quo, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. E- exactly like you were saying, when spray foam started being popular, of course, one of the big ones was, do we put poly up or not? That was a conversation for years. But each one... But in the code, it said
1: you had to put poly.
0: It said you need a vapor barrier. A vapor barrier, sorry. But but where where does that vapor barrier come from? Was always the. And then based on traditional products. Based on traditional products they were used to. And then there's all these questions like, well, how does the stud affect? What does a wood stud carry moisture through? And then there will always be someone's interpretation of the code. Even if a code says something, two people will interpret it differently.
2: It's true. Which is yeah. so well, like, the code is pretty vague. I'm actually teaching that at Sheridan right now is a building uh, OBC course, and I have to read this to the students, and they're falling asleep like within the first five minutes. Well, let's see, it. I was told you by know. an
1: inspector that they have to make it a blanket, because like there's so many different types of buildings out there that they can't have every yeah, answer for, for sure. every building yeah. that's being built. So the definition of what they're expecting has to be a blanket yeah. that kind of covers everything a little bit. And then you're supposed to interpret it on site on how this is supposed to be built, yep. which is challenging for a builder to do that. When it, it, why not be more descriptive about this is the structure that we're building? These are the solutions for our wall, roof, basement assemblies, yep. and it's been signed off here through an engineer or through a technical advisor. Just the city should sign off on it. Yep. Am yep. I talking crazy? I don't. I, no, I
2: we had the same issue with that Ottawa project that I was talking about. We had a code official, of, or not a code official. We had a our code consultant. Wrote a letter, an engineering judgment, everything was good for this wall, sent it in, and the junior guy uh, was like, no, it doesn't meet the code. And then we had to go above the chain, and he's like, yeah, this definitely meets the code. So again, there's a little bit of, I don't know if he he just didn't know, or, you know, he just wanted to beat the chest and say, you know, whatever I say goes now. So it was... It, it was like three weeks. You get weeks. that on both sides. You get yeah, that on yeah. the
1: builders. You get that on the, on the official yeah. side. You get it everywhere. The whole point is that there's no reason to dispute it. No. Discuss it yeah. is mm-hmm. all I'm trying to ask And for, we got right? signed off
2: from the architect, uh, you know, a code consultant, but it wasn't from the city. So we were delayed three weeks just to get this product in the building. And the building was shut down. And so the owner was like, come on, I need to get people in this building. Yeah. So it's... It's quite dynamic. That's uh, building. That's uh, yeah. construction. Is yeah. what it is, right? Yeah.
1: Okay, cool. So, yeah. Let's shift gears into waterproofing then. Yep. All right. So now you guys, I'm a canvas blank. Start talking to me about waterproofing.
0: Yeah, well, we're working with... Uh, our specialty is spray-applied products. So the spray foam is, is our kind of bread and butter, but along the same chemistry line as you can get into waterproofing membranes, spray-applied waterproofing membranes. Traditionally... a People are used to, I think everyone's kind of aware what blue skin is and transition membranes. Uh, we're doing the same function as a lot of, the, of those membranes, but again, with spray applications. So what that's going to mean is no seams. Um, you get high performance out of it. it. Think of it as almost like a truck bed liner in a yeah, way. Okay. It's a lot of the same chemistry. Okay. You're spray applying um, You know, high impact resistance, high tear resistance, high puncture resistance, all in a seamless package. What's the thickness that you're... Our, our minimum code thickness for Canada for our listing is 50 mils thick, so 50 thousandths of an inch. But I would say practically you can go up to about 120 mils 50 thickness. 50 thousandths of an inch? Yeah, 50 thousandths of an inch.
1: How many lines is that on the tape measure? Like 50 thousandths of an inch?
0: It, you'd be, well... <laughs> so less than a mil, is not it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be uh, basically... Like a 30 you, second. Yeah, like a 32nd, okay, exactly. And right. I, I would say you can go up to about an eighth, just shy of an eighth of an inch could be reasonable. Okay. Yeah. And, and that, it doesn't sound like much, but then again, a lot of the membranes aren't that thick either. They're they're all going to be around that thickness as well. It takes to a good sprayer
1: miles. now to know what 50 thousands of an inch is, right? When they're applying it.
0: It, it can be. A lot of this is skill-based and that's where, again, we go back into the fact that, our installers really are the manufacturers and they need, they need to have more knowledge than an average installer does. And why we'll go go on site and help give different, uh, we can do depth gauges that you can put on the wall to help judge your thickness. A lot of times we'll just recommend guys take chunks off constantly and are checking with a caliper to see how thick they're spraying with the tip sizes that you can put on the machines and a guy who has a consistent technique, you can actually dial in fairly well. How thick you go. And it doesn't take a lot of time because, again, these guys are going to be behind the gun for hours and hours every day. so day.
1: They'll you, get a feel for it. You get a
0: feel for it, yeah. yeah. And you can see visually on the wall the thickness being built up. It's not um, it's not a stretch to be within a certain mill thickness of, of being reasonable, for
1: sure. Is it a negative if you go too thick?
0: It's a negative for the contractor because they're putting on extra material that wasn't in the quote. So it's a financial negative, yeah. right? A financial negative, of course, yeah.
1: But but there's a negative if it's too thin.
0: For sure, you could uh, be missing sections, not getting uh, maybe you're not getting the water tightness rating because you have a thin or a shallow area uh, for sure. There's, there's definitely detriments to going too thin. but the product is extremely strong. It's, um, it's done with a high pressure commercial system. and as long as the prep the trick with any material that's uh, going to be a coating material like an epoxy floor, or our hygrothane, which is the coating that we're using, is always the prep to the site. If the prep's not good, the, the product's not going to be good. Clean. Yeah, yeah. Dust-free. Dust-free. Clean. oils gone. Not too much moisture on the surface. Um, like everything on the construction. Get rating of, you know, if you're doing old retrofit concrete, is it spalling? Is mm. it like flaking off already? Mm. So it's only going to be, the product's only going to be as good as the prep. Which is where we're going to spend a lot of our time with the installers giving education. Uh, different primers that you can use to help, you know, um, control moisture to help solidify the surface, to help gain mechanical bonding or chemical bonding. Can
1: it be applied over ICF?
0: Yeah, that's actually a huge um, space that we're filling in right now is there was actually like a screaming from the ICF industry saying we need better solutions to cover ICF because I think a lot of them were using membrane sheets
1: and stick, Peel and stick. and Primer, but you're priming onto EPS. not the smoothest, yeah. smoothest yeah. uh It's not surface. the
0: smoothest. A lot of the primers, I'm sure they have water-based primers, but the primers can be solvent-based, which can eat away at the EPS. Yeah. And just generally in sight, like if you're doing a, a four-foot-wide sheet, 10 feet high, are you going to be able to handle that material and not get a wrinkle in it? As soon as you get a wrinkle, is that wrinkle going to be rolled and sealed properly after they're done? What if there's a little bit of dust on the EPS, or it's been exposed to the sun and started to get some UV damage? You get a dusty surface, and it wants to peel off. Yep. So for those sort of reasons, there's been a lot of issues with the peel and stick membranes and ICF. The product goes on quite warm, but not hot enough to melt the EPS. In fact, it almost seems like a good thing because it bonds. It, it bonds to it, bites okay. into the surface. Yeah. And you, you'll you'll have to go around. You still have to do prep. You'll still have to fill in any cracks with some canned foam and shave it flat and fill in any, I'd say anything bigger than an eighth inch, you'll want to fill in gaps. But after they're done that, they can just, no additional prep is necessary for EPS. The bond to the EPS will be as strong as the EPS itself. So if you were to try and tear the membrane off afterward, you just get a bunch of beads stuck to it. So it's a great system. When and you bringing it right down to the footing or right yep, on, like yep, past yep. That,
1: that corner point? Yeah,
0: bring it onto the footing, wrap it around, get it to the weeping tile, and yeah, it'll go all the way. Yeah. Speaking of which,
1: drawing-wise, Rocky, I mean, why is it that the OBC always shows that cove in the footing and the foundation wall? And I've never seen on a site that cove. No. Nobody does the no. cove. <laughs> no,
2: no. <laughs> lucky if it's there sometimes <laughs> alone, uh, the weeping i've help. never <laughs> seen it right yeah.
1: but they have that beautiful nice cove that yeah. just transitions from the foundation wall to the footing oh yeah right but i mean and whether you have a nice wrapped and yeah, the, yeah, the like stone around I mean, it, it yeah. and the rocks in the right place yeah and exactly beautifully yeah. designed yeah but i, I uh, no no I, that's why i was asking but i you guys will just spray it right on top of the 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 footing yep because now you're below grade or yes. below slab on the interior yep yes at that point
2: yep. and then we just got testing now where you don't need a protection membrane over top of it because it's so durable you could just spray it and then backfill it uh within so you don't require day. any drainage board in front of
0: it
1: yep. no nope. not necessary but the code is still asking for the drainage board is that correct or no
2: it, i don't i don't uh, know our, how, our uh,
0: original listing when we came out with the product required a drainage board over it as a protection board yeah uh but like Rocky said, we did testing with over ICF and other materials and we got our, uh, I'm not sure if you've done too much work with, there's a government body CCMC Canadian construction material center. Yeah. And they will give listings for things that meet the building code by let's say material standard. So they'll list, yes, this product meets this section of the building standard and then they'll give reports, which are alternatives to the building code and giving their opinions uh, so a lot of times our innovative products will fall under, fall under a report and then we'll have to get something called a minister's ruling like an on, from the Ministry of Ontario to say that, yes, we agree that this is a performance solution to the building code. And then that's usually what we'll hand to architects and designers to say, this may not be in the code, but here's the government ruling saying that we've looked at that already. And they've deemed it acceptable as this solution for and the building
1: department. Does, doesn't matter what municipality will accept that.
0: A lot of times they could be provincially based, whether it's the uh, you know the OBC or or something else. But yeah, usually once you have one minister's ruling, you can kind of like blanket it across. Yeah. The and rest. they're usually, re- I've never gone down that road, but are they usually pretty receptive
1: that way? Like the, the yeah, if, if it's done yeah. through the
0: right channels. If you've yeah. done okay. gone through CCMC, because they do a pretty intense study. Yeah, I can imagine what you guys submit is yeah. a lot of
1: information yeah, for them yeah. to
0: say, yeah. yes, we agree with this. Yeah, they'll, they'll compare it. Like, what is your product going to do? Okay, what already is on the market that does that? You have to do that plus prove that other stuff. So it's like you do minimum what's already on the market testing plus additional testing to make sure that compatibility issues or other performance things that might come by that may be different for your material to another one yeah it's usually like a couple year long process to get this whole thing done and i guess like with this you're right about the
1: icf i mean ever since the pandemic happened and the cost of lumber and the way it went everybody like builders started shifting gears and you had a lot of foundation companies that were not embracing icf the way that they should have been they're probably struggling a little bit more because uh, the ICF route was making a lot of sense because mm. the financial yeah. numbers were very similar, if not yeah. a little bit less than the traditional timber frame and, and form footing uh, foundations. And I was like, going, yeah, it, it totally makes sense. So you guys are seeing more and more projects with ICF. So now you got to properly waterproof those and i think
2: we got letters from every uh icf manufacturer saying that we're compatible with them so we have those letters yeah so they like the product because it's quick uh for waterproofing you know it sprays real quick um you want to talk about the drying times
0: yeah i mean it's it because it is a two-component system, an A and a B component, it's <coughs> mixed through the the spray applicator. They're using, using the, the gun. same gun as uh, the exact same gun. Yeah, the same gun as spray foam. Same, really smaller tips. Okay, to help control thickness. Like you were saying, how do they control thickness through the spray tip size they're using? But they do need a slightly different machine. They'll need to use a high-pressure machine that goes up to three thousand psi. They spray at so generally they'll spray around twenty-five hundred psi, and from the time it goes on the wall to the time it's dry to the touch will be as little as 20 seconds. So, Can you guys make it faster? <laughs> I don't think we want to make it faster. <laughs> I think that's what causes most of it. Yeah. That, that also means that it cures that fast no, in the fast. gun. Yeah, 20 seconds is pretty yeah. fast. It's very fast. So what that means is you can basically, if you spray in the morning, you could backfill in the afternoon. You're not going to get full strength in the minute. It's still curing over the course of a while. It'll be dry to the touch in 20 seconds. So if a guy's working on site and he happens to need to grab the wall or something it's not going to be a some slick wet yeah thing yeah. and then all oh, you've ruined the coat because it's you know you've you pushed the mill thickness around or oh shit we have a rain coming in in two hours are we going to be screwed if it rains within the next two hours some of these water-based formulas can you have to keep rain off them yep. you can't let them freeze during the curing period or they could be done all the curing is happening within the chemicals so once you put it on the wall if it's good at the time of the application it will continue curing and setting without other factors being involved for the installers out there. Does it make sense? Are you guys starting to see spray foam installers starting getting into the waterproofing side of things? They can be. And because the equipment's the same, because the chemicals are similar, it makes a lot of sense, but it is a lot of a different world. And that's what you realize is like you start to get into the concrete world as opposed to just the Insulating world, which is on a lot of
1: well, it's a nice opportunity. Wood. It, is, it nice. is. It's a nice as opportunity a, as a business owner. Yeah, it, it kind of makes sense. You're just showing up on site a little. soon Well, you're doing the slab already, so you're already be, yeah. you're there. No, a lot of guys are come back in a couple up. of weeks and then yeah. do the walls at that point. Yeah. right.
0: And I think it's just one of those ones again. ICF is still relatively emerging in the market. It's definitely popular now, but it's not. It's not full. Guys want to make sure that when they invest in. That equipment and that business that they can keep a guy working full-time you yeah. kind of want to specialize in the waterproofing if you're getting into it you don't want a part-time waterproofer well and there. that's
2: what uh, you know as joel said it's all, all our installers are trained and certified mm. uh, but on the waterproofing side uh, there's a different requirement but you know we want to give the material to good applicators we just don't want to give it to everyone because you yeah. know that's when problems arise so uh, working with good contractors so we, we're sort of breaking out into the market a little bit more slowly Compared to just letting anyone have it,
0: yeah, and and, and the ICF is the res- residential side. We're doing a big push onto the the commercial side as well. The blind side waterproofing, which is which is going to be some. Well, it's pretty much
1: every commercial, yeah, building
0: exactly every <laughs> yeah. commercial building. If you're anywhere downtown and you yeah. have zero lot line yeah. digs. You know, there's no positive side of waterproofing applications. Everything's done blind side for space reasons, and that's where we're trying to give a lot of solutions. Again, traditionally, traditionally, even blind side, a lot of it is sheet goods, which still is the same sort of issues. When you get to um, the pile caps, and when you get to the, um, you know, when you have the soldier piles, the whalers that are going across, everywhere where all these like interesting geometry. How do you seal around something that's round with a sheet good? you rely on a lot of the skill of the guy who's putting it on. And, you know, is he having a bad day? Is he having a good day? Is he going to notice the wrinkles? Is he going to inspect everything properly? When you have something that's spray applied, it it just automatically conforms to that surface. So as long as you're hitting it from every direction that needs to be hit from, you're getting a good seal. When Joel
2: mentioned uh, pile caps, we had this project in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was 132 pile caps that needed to be done, and they're going to go with traditional uh, sheet goods. But uh, they couldn't get the sheet goods or something like that. Uh, so one of our installers went in, and he sprayed these 132 pile caps within a day. Wow. And then he went back, and they told him that he saved the, the general contractor three weeks on his uh, you know, schedule uh, because it would have took three weeks to uh, use uh, the sheet goods as origami trying to get around well, uh, these uh, <laughs> pile yeah. caps. Yeah, and they so, learned
1: the best way to fold that yeah. To use sheets yeah. by the time they get to the last one. They're like, oh, this is, I got it. It's all done. But yeah. the other ones all look like a dog's breakfast at that yeah. point, yeah. right? Oh, We 100%. figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, we're yeah. Done. no water comes up. Yeah. <laughs> so. so, I mean, basically on residential, even commercial, you guys are handling from the ground all the way up underneath the slab. You're handling the waterproofing on the exterior also on the blind and then you're also handling the the wall assembly itself yeah. yeah and if it's icf and and you've got a builder that wants to go icf to the to the roof line you can waterproof that whole amount as well too or you don't need to at that point you don't need to because you start dealing with the the cladding at that yeah above yeah it, right yeah.
2: it'd be detailed a little bit differently yeah. um i think down the road we'll start looking at something like that yeah. um but for now, I think we're just going to stick on the uh, the waterproofing aspects below grade for now.
1: What about all the window and
0: door openings? Is there? We have open? ventured into. Oh, you into guys, that? You guys yeah. are smiling, so I, I touched a yeah. nerve here. <laughs> no, 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 no. The no. The no, 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 no. In the lab just, or something, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. We are we are getting into that now. Uh, window detail and transition membranes. Yes, with this waterproofing product, the same one, the spray applied one, um, because the chemistry is very similar to the spray foams, they're very compatible together. So, um. You could spray transitions with the waterproofing membrane and then spray foam over top of it and you'll have excellent adhesion, excellent, you know, vapor tightness, water tightness. And and we are getting into that space. It's just one of those ones that even we need to learn more about it. But we recently did. You don't want to
2: tell our sales guys yet.
0: No, (laughs) No, not yet. We recently did the Kingsville Public School in Ontario. Okay. Um, And we got them to approve. The school board now approves hygrithane as a transition membrane on their sites for their schools. We did a, we went out, we worked with a good contractor out based out of Sarnia, and we worked with them and the architects and the builders to do that system where we use our products for the waterproofing membranes and for the insulating on the outside of the wall. So it, it is it is coming. It's just one of those ones where when you have a versatile product, people are always finding new uses for it. And then whether or not we're ready to also jump on board with those uses, like like you said, do we have the testing for that? Well, what testing do you need for that? You know, there could be you could be introducing in a whole range of testing that we're not aware. Of. What building codes are now affected in this section that weren't affected by us before? With but our you guys other will always
1: be yeah. far more ready than the city, right? Yeah. Because the codes oh, are sure. taking that much longer. You guys are going to come up with products and applications and the way details a lot sooner. Yeah. yeah. That's the unfortunate thing, and then we have to justify it with your help. You give us the paperwork and then present it, and then you hear the Jeopardy music coming from the building, yeah, building basically, at yeah. that point, well, right? And
2: that's to your point. Like, you know, we do it from the the bottom up from the contractor that he gets all the information that goes to him, and then it could come to me. But then if it comes from the top down from the architect, it goes from me down to him and then yeah. down to his guy. So it's a good flow of information that we could uh, – be quite nimble, I guess you could say, in some of these projects to get them done quickly and effectively.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of contractors are under utilizing manufacturers. If they're like one of the good things about ElasticH is we do provide a lot of services to the contractor like free of charge. If Rocky's doing a wall design, you're free. There's no bills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not getting the paycheck. They so reach out they they to you <laughs> guys. Yeah, that's what I meant about avoiding
1: the Google construction yeah. and then contacting you guys,
2: right? Yeah, and
0: and I think a lot of people may be cautious of it because they never had that backup before or they're like, "Oh, do they really care?" Yeah, but in today's you
1: tech, know? like it's just, you're on site and you've yeah. got a mobile and smartphone yeah. and you have Yeah. Oh, access, it's way it's right?
0: way easier than ever before. Yeah, yeah. send me a video. Oh, okay, 2 seconds. Yes. Showing up on your phone right now, okay, I see exactly what you're talking about. All the more about. reason, yeah. go to, the, like, the yeah.
1: trade shows and bump into the booths and then talk to the individuals and get their card and get their contact information. You know you're going to ask them a question one day.
2: Yeah. Well, yep. even some of the technology that you mentioned, we use a software that uh, comes out of Germany called Woofy. It's German for heat, air, and moisture. And basically, it. yeah, yeah it, it could basically create a video of your wall assembly And you could actually see the moisture going through. You could see the heat going through it. So then you could send that video to, say, you know, a code official or to your customer and say, hey, look, this is what your wall is going to look like if you do it like this or if you do it like this. And if you do it wrong, you can actually see the moisture building up and you could calculate how many times there's condensation in a year. So this technology that we're using, the software, I think, was about 10,000 euros. Uh, So not everyone has it but we mm-hmm. have it to yeah help but it's, our there. Customers. it's, it's there. there it's there to have the yeah. conversation right yeah
1: and it's a useful tool, tool. are you going to get the official just reply back deep fake <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. At that? yeah. <laughs> you know, i right? just put and his name on this <laughs> <it, so. laughs> what i yeah. like what else you guys want to share can you guys share like coming up on the trade show uh for concrete expo uh what are you guys going to be talking about a lot of this what we talked about right now yeah right but anything else you guys are going to be sharing
2: I think uh, what I've been working on with a few architects and, you know, Joel was a part of some of this is um, a a lot of below grade with our HC uh, and actually replacing some of the um, geofoams, like the EPS, you know, the big blocks that they're using for geofoam. We've been working with um, an EPS manufacturer that we're going to try and work combined where they can put some geofoam and then they could actually use our spray foam to mold the shapes that they want. And, you know, if they're doing, um, Different types of grades and whatnot, and then they just put the, our Hygrothane over top of it as their waterproofing. And so it's a pretty slick system. So they're they're looking at combining uh, hybrid systems. What kind of application are we talking about here? Like what the one of- we we're working on was in Winnipeg, and it was um, a plaza deck. Okay, uh, and yeah, they want to uh, put some EPS down because it's a little bit uh, more economical uh, price, but then they want to use the, the um, HC to form the landscape that they want and then waterproof it and then put their uh, soil over top of that. So that's becoming more popular than I've seen on the design side.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A lot of stuff we're doing is trying to, like a lot of companies, is get our products to work together nicely. The HC is a nice combo with our waterproofing product because same thing on our foundation wall. Let's say they didn't have ICF. Well, why don't you just, if you have a traditional foundation wall, why don't you just spray foam over it for insulation on the outside of the wall? and then put your waterproofing over the spray foam. So now again, you have no studs in the way. It doesn't take up interior space and all of the heat and waterproofing solutions outside it on the outside of the wall. Where you want to stop the problem on the outside of the wall. Once it's on the inside of the wall, it's hard to deal with. Like basically once you have a, like a negative side waterproofing application, that's just damage control at that point. If it's coming through your wall, you're just trying to source it down to the floor and get rid of it at that point you're not really fixing the problem you're just mitigating the issues yeah which is not really the solution at that point no no sometimes it's your only like again when you run into lot line issues or other accessibility issues it might be your only choice but if we can build better from the start and get good products on the inside of the wall then if your foundation does crack it doesn't matter because the water's not getting to there this great thing that you were
1: just talking about shaping it, and it makes me think about how Toronto's not one for this. But as much as I love high rise and I love seeing growth and construction and high rise, it is a lot of concrete and steel mm-hmm. and glass, right? And why can't we take the top floor or some of the floors and start creating little? Gardens of some sort, and you shape this, waterproof it, insulate it from the dwellings that are below it. But then you're putting earth on top of it. Now you got a little parquet on yeah. this building. And if every building was doing that or mandated to do that, add a little bit of green on the tops of all these buildings in Toronto uh, skyline, right?
2: And, and that makes sense. we're working with uh, another manufacturer out of Beamsville uh, that does some of this waterproofing. So we'd be the insulation and waterproofing, and they'd be um, well. They have this board that basically holds the water in place. Uh, so then the, the plants could get the water from mm. the, these boards. So it's we're working on something. Yeah, so maybe the science by is behind yeah. there, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Like the, the live roof kind of application, yeah. the science is there, it makes sense. But yeah. I guess the biggest problem is the insulation and waterproofing part of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially in, in roof assemblies, waterproofing is always the hardest yeah. thing. You have to design for it though. It's one it's not one of those things you just slap on a live roof after the fact. Yeah.
2: Well that's what they say. To make a million dollars in roofing, you gotta start with ten.
1: You know so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now are you guys seeing a, a difference in in cross canada i mean it's also you guys are in the states as well too but bc builders versus the you know new brunswick builders like we're seeing differences on Definitely. how we tackle building structures yeah. Yeah, yeah right what are some of the the glaring differences that you guys notice between because i know for for lack of an argument Toronto's the epicenter here, so to speak, which yeah. I, I disagree with. There's lots more interesting places across Canada. But, I mean, they're building different ways in the East Coast. They're building different ways in the West Coast. And then we're building the ways we are building here.
2: Well, the biggest thing I'm fighting out in uh, BC is the code officials won't allow you to spray two-pound foam in ceilings. In ceilings? Ceilings. Roof or? Uh, like roof, yeah. Hot uh, roofs. Uh, hot roofs. And won't? No, and the reason being, says if it leaks, we won't know that there's a leak there because the moisture and the water can't get through. So then I tell them, well, it's not a product issue. Uh, your roof failed. And they're like, no, we still... So you only could use half pound where the water could actually go through it so they could see if there's a leak. So that's the only yeah, real Even half pounds, you're never... If it leaks, it's never going to... The evidence of leak is not going to be where... No, but they'll just know there's a leak there. That's <sighs> their yeah. only... It's not really a. I, that's so, not a good argument. No. Yeah. But again, you know,
0: it's yeah. We entire have a hard time. building codes. Yeah, the Vancouver one is a pretty well known one. That's yeah. not super friendly for spray foam. But there could, there's usually some historic event that happened at one point, and that they've decided that they're going to change the codes or the way they do things, and then getting anything like that reversed once a a building code organization's decide to go in one direction is difficult. Well, they had issues with foam 25, 30 years ago. Are they I would say. still,
1: like, I mean, but the, like BC, when you think of BC, do they have the same mindset when it comes to the slabs and the foundations? Because you're getting a lot more homeowners nowadays and builders tackling projects that are being put on the sides of rocks. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like you're you're breaking out portions of rock to start the structure, yeah. which you might as well start, you know, again, with the same theory that we've been talking through this whole show. Yeah. But are they against that as well?
2: Well, it seems like they're more for our waterproofing rather yeah, than on the foundation side on the foundation side, side cuz again there is a little bit of water out in bc There's so. a lot of water yeah that's <laughs> yeah, the thing so, so and they're having major issues right now with um water so they they love our hygothane out there yeah uh but again it's hard uh, on the foam side and everywhere else in the country i don't think there's an issue what about the east no. coast no, east coast it's yeah it's a lot actually uh, yeah it's quite uh, popular out there yeah
0: yeah Yeah. all of uh as far as i know all of our products are doing well the guys are using them we're again we're introducing some of the newer products like the hc that we're talking about that under slab insulation and then the hygrothane which is that waterproofing product are for us as a company relatively new and again when we're starting with new products we are trying to pick and choose our clients ones who are professional willing to learn with us willing to go through it so Getting A lot of times when we go to the, the coasts, that'll be a little bit later in our journey when we start selling. We start a little bit more local so we can learn with them on projects, be there on site with them as they're installing. And then once we have all that you know, good information, the base of knowledge there, then we can start giving it out to places where we may not be as, as available to the contractors.
1: I know you guys mentioned on the show quite a bit times um, a lot of training. You guys are offering the training.
0: Yep. Joel does the training. So yeah. anybody
1: can reach out to you guys, and you guys are offering these training courses. So if someone wants to upgrade or get into, they contact sure. you. Yep, the contact us. Yeah, and how often can... is the training happening?
0: Well, we do for spray foam training uh, in our headquarters, which is in Brantford, we do four courses a year, four training courses. But throughout Canada, we may do 10 to 15 courses. We'll have them all across Canada. We'll have some in Halifax, some in Quebec, Brantford, Ontario, we'll do Winnipeg, we'll do Calgary, we'll do Vernon, BC. I mean... When's the next Brantford one? The next one's, I believe, April 3rd to 5th. Is it full? No, nope. There's okay. always room. There's still some... Room. Yeah. Okay. There's always room. And and we always let all of our our contractors who are already part of our base know when the training course is coming up for new installers who they've hired. But anyone who can go on the website and our training dates will be up on our website. And the
2: final test is done by a third party, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, for spray foam, it's actually different than our... Than waterproofing with spray foam. It's actually very regulated how we have to train. We provide training, but when they get certified, they get certified through a third party certifier. So it's an independent test through their um, requirements. And then they'll get a license from that company to spray. So it's actually a real certification body that comes in and does the testing. And homeowners should ask for that when they go, they get a spray foam guy coming in to spray their walls. Every license, every spray foamer in Canada should have a license. Yeah. To spray that product. Their, the spray that yeah. product, yeah. Or they at
1: least be trained on that, like, that product. So they're well aware of it. Yeah. Because they're going into a
0: home. And we go back to the beginning with that the product's manufactured on site. Exactly, yeah. Right? There's has to be some level of competence there, for sure. And
2: though. there has to be a job site label, I think, on the, on the panel? Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of documentation they have to do, daily work records. And at the end of the job, they're required to put a label Usually on something like an electrical box, just so that if there's ever an issue later on, they know who to contact to follow up with it.
1: So the real question is, if you take one of these training courses across Canada, do we get a snazzy blue shirt like that or what?
0: You have to ask marketing. Yeah, <laughs> <literally>, uh, <laughs> We don't get snazzy blue shirt. You guys get a swag bag. Everyone gets shirts, hats, uh, pens. He gets to listen to Joel for three days. Yeah, they are to to me for three days. That's three days? <laughs> three days, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. that is serious then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's uh, two days of class training, a little bit of hands-on training, and then the third day is our test day. Um, a lot of guys think that when they go through the course, they're going to be ready to spray foam, but there's so much, like any trade. Whenever you see it, it looks easy. Right. A guy comes in, he pulls up onto your site, drags out a hose. Train properly. That's <laughs> why it looks easy. They throw up a little bit of poly. They spray for six hours, get a big paycheck, and haul out of there. And they're like, damn, well, why am I not in this? They also don't see that $150,000 of startup equipment. Yeah. The, the business. Or, yeah, the, the <laughs> 5 a.m. loading the truck up, yes. driving the door. So um, we are definitely give the training. But that's really just to get the license. And then what we really pride ourselves in is we have a bunch of techs available who, like myself, who can go out with you and spend two or three days doing specific training on your exact equipment, on the product that you're using, hands-on. Yeah. And that's, and that's where a lot of the real expertise comes in. Is like, you can get your driver's license. That doesn't mean you're a good driver. Nope. But, you know. Downtown Toronto teaches that every <laughs> single day. Exactly. But we can come out with you. You know, wh- what are you having the most trouble with? Well, let's focus on that.
1: That's what I mean about get rid of Google construction and get on board with getting your cards, your contact information, yep. and reaching out to you guys. I'm sure you guys are accessible. They can either call you, text you, or email you. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I've got a situation. I've got a question. I'm preparing for a new job yep. that's coming up. And I, I want to look like a rock star to the architect, to the inspector, exactly. to the homeowner. I want to
0: yeah. be educated.
1: That's a yeah. lot of good builders.
0: Yeah. That's just bottom line. Yep. And that's what we want, too. I mean... The better they are, the better our product looks, right? If something goes on and they make a mess of our product, it doesn't just hurt us, it hurts the whole industry. It does. Oh,
2: especially they put it on social media now. Everything yeah. is on there. You have to be very you know. careful. Yeah. Well,
1: you had a lot of the Yahoos at the start of the whole industry, right? You had a lot of the cowboys, and then it doesn't help us. And it's just, I always told homeowners apples and apples, please yeah. do, do not. Mm-hmm. You know, like if one person's coming in, especially in this industry, and they're very cheap. I would question that. If they're very expensive, I would question that too. But if you got two or three of them that are in the same ballpark, those are the ones you want to be paying attention to. Well, it's
2: funny. uh, It has nothing to do with uh, what we're talking about. But uh, because I was telling you about my windows in my house, that Mm. were terrible. So I I called a a window manufacturer, and one of the guys came out um, to uh, tell me about the windows. Uh, So he was going around and telling me how good he was, how good the windows were. I said, okay, well... um, How are you going to tie into the window, uh, to the air barrier? Oh, you don't need to do that. I said, oh, you don't? He goes, oh, no, no, don't. Um, That's like number one. Yeah, and he goes, what we do is we get a can foam. Do you know what spray foam is? I said, I might know a little bit about it. And then we just do it around your windows, and everything's fine. I said, okay. So he was going around, and about five minutes later, he's like, what do you do? Said so I work for a spray foam manufacturer <laughs> and I teach architecture uh, at the school. It goes okay. How we tie in your window is do this, this. I'm like get out. So it's you know you never know who you're speaking to, uh, yeah. where no. they came from, and what they've yeah. been trained.
1: Yeah. right? So no, there's value in that training, that that information, and having yeah. that conversation. And you'll get busted one day. Yeah. Like you'll just get caught, right? Yeah. If you want to keep on building your business that way. Yeah. yeah. Which is the wrong way.
0: That's why I let people know. Uh, a lot of times homeowners will call in. They'll say, "Hey, like who's a good person i said well as a general rule make sure they've been around for you know five years at that point they you know you're gonna have if they've kept the same company name for five years they're backing up their name any problems they've had they've had to deal with it by now so if they're still around then they're they're either doing it right to begin with or if there is an issue they're handling it and they're making it right so
1: gentlemen thank you very much i got to do the 12 questions with you this has been a great conversation i love because i learned that's why I do the show. I just love learning more and more stuff. So I'm going to take this knowledge and share it with other people. And then Perfect. I'm going to look like a rock star. That's <laughs> as simple as it gets, man. Nice. I think we, we, there's nothing else that we want to touch upon. I think we've touched upon it. I think we're, and we're going to encourage everybody to go to CCE, the Canadian Concrete Expo. that's happening on February 14th and 15th. Yeah. You guys are there at booth number 2579 in hall number two, elasticam.com. Info at elasticam.com. And then the phone number is 1 877 787 2436. And on IG, it's under Elasticam. You guys ready for these twelve questions?
2: I think so. Let's hit it, yeah. What's
1: your favorite construction word?
2: Hydrothermal. That's
1: a good word.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll go with. I know it's, it's cliche. But we're gonna go with the sustainable right now. That's the. Good one. Good one. What's
1: your least favorite tool?
0: Can I say Joel? <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be metaphorical. <laughs> yeah, that counts. Uh,
2: least favorite tool. You go first, Joel.
0: I, well, because I work with the spray foam equipment, it's going to be the spray foam equipment because that's what I'm on-site fixing for guys all day long, for sure. Well, if you don't take care of the tool, the maintenance. Tool won't take care I of mean, you. Yeah. it's like maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. Everyone yes. says it, but no one does it. Yes, that's uh, the classic.
2: I think for me, it actually is uh, the computer uh, because you know, for a lot of the work that we do, it's all calculations. But if the computer goes down, you're going to have to know how to use this tool up here to do the calculations. That's a good point.
1: So. What construction sound do you guys
0: love? It's the, the lack of sound they love. Uh, <laughs> it, Quietness? <laughs> when they turn off the generator yeah. that runs the equipment at the end of the day and it finally goes quiet and you can think again, that's the best sound on the construction site.
2: I don't know. I think it's um, the sound of a concrete truck. I tested concrete for three years, so it wasn't fun. Uh, Rolling to, in or backing up? Uh, backing up. Backing up. And then you with your little cone test and doing your slump test, so it's... Wasn't a good sound.
0: What's your favorite beverage? I, uh, old fashioned for sure. Probably a beer. Yeah, you're a beer guy. guy. Hoff brow. Uh,
1: what, uh, what's the worst and the best thing about construction?
0: The best is, uh, you get to do a different thing every day. Also the worst is <laughs> you never know what you're walking into. You <laughs> think you're ready for everything and then you get another thing out of nowhere Yep. and you don't have the answer and you got to go find balls. it. And, yeah. Yeah.
2: No, I think the uh, the one is people that are willing to learn is the best, and then the w- the worst is people that don't want to listen.
1: They're out there, yeah. Uh, favorite curse word? We've been well, keeping think, it clean, yeah. but
2: well, I think uh, Joel already said one. Uh, oh, did I? Yeah, you did. Oh, I noticed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Was word? it a bad one? <laughs> no, I don't know. You hear it in a daycare all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's Just uh, like son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: I think I use the F word quite a bit, so I'm not going to say Everyone it. Everyone does. No, no, that's a, that's a, the classic. Go what, to. Yeah.
1: What's your favorite vehicle?
0: Any mode of transportation? Uh, I'll have to go with my childhood dream car that I'll I'll never have. It was a, a 1995 Dodge Viper. Viper, nice. I had a poster of it growing up in my room. I used to look at it all day long. Then realized I'll never own that expensive a car and not that i want to now that i have a family it's it's way out of reach it's not a family-friendly vehicle
1: the last carol shelby vehicle ever designed
0: oh yeah yep
2: i like the ferrari so if anything anyone any one of them or any of them
1: (laughs) uh what do you guys miss from your childhood
0: oh not having to worry about anything you just get up it's like what where are we doing today we're doing that great all right i'll hop in the car you drive me there get everything done for me Born up north in the Sioux,
2: so it's the, the nature uh, compared to down here. Mm. So. Puts you in a happy
0: state. Yeah. Well, calm state.
1: <laughs> what profession other than your own would you guys like to attempt one day?
0: I would like to do woodworking. That's my hobby. I'd love to do it. Like on a professional level. Take all the money you're going to spend on the Viper and just buy all the <laughs> tools that you want. Yeah. There's, as anyone it. knows, there's never enough tools. That's what I mean. All the money <laughs> you would spend on a Viper. Yeah, get all the tools. You spend all that more easily. Yeah,
2: I think for me, it's just being like a, a helicopter pilot. Helicopter pilot. Yeah, would be pretty cool.
1: I heard it's hard. Yeah. Like limb hard. You're using yeah. every limb, right? Yeah. It's just, and your mind as well, yeah. too.
0: But. I'll do your own. <laughs> <laughs> what profession okay. would you guys not like to do? Anything like a nurse or someone who deals directly with people. Yeah. I can't do it. God, thank God for anyone who can, but. Good on them. Yeah. Good on them. Yeah. yeah.
2: I think his job. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say about the contractors? <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> Last <laughs>
1: question. If heaven exists, what would you guys like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? Come on
0: in.
2: Hopefully. <laughs> just, well, you didn't screw up that bad. So. <laughs>
1: I've seen worse. <laughs> I've seen worse. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> gentlemen, thank you so much, and uh, looking forward to seeing you guys at uh, CCE there, and uh, we'll get you guys back on the mic as well. We'll talk live there when, when we do that show, which is going to be live to YouTube. Perfect. That's going to be lots of fun. So we have to just be careful, no friend at that point. Yeah, yeah. But, uh But no, no, it'd be fine. It'd be <laughs> fine. It'd be exciting. And I'm looking forward to the show next week. So uh, thank you again. Triple W Info at Elasticam.com. Their phone number one eight seven 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 eight seven two four three six, and on I. G Elasticam. That's it, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, man. It was great. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, Angelina Redier.